TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. This hump day, the 20th of March, brings you Scoop Podcast episode 213. Let's get right to it. Some KSTP Television Channel 5 in the Twin Cities duties call. Josh Klein for agent offensive lineman. He has 64 career starts, many with the Titans, some with the Patriots. Remains in town as of 12.30 Wednesday afternoon. He arrived late Tuesday afternoon, 3, 4-ish. Had dinner with the Vikings brass Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer, on Wednesday in Columbus, Ohio, for Ohio State's Pro Day. and asked, hey, can the Vikings wrap up a deal with Klein with those two guys out of the building? Sure, there is technology. There is phone calls. There's ways to do it. Plus, Rob Brzezinski is the one with the Vikings who negotiates the deal. So I'm assuming, I don't know this for sure, but Zimmer and Spielman have access to a private jet or took an early morning flight or a late night flight out of Minneapolis, either Tuesday night or flew out Wednesday morning to Columbus. So they spent some time with Klein. They have watched tape on Klein. There is mutual interest. I am told Klein is enjoying his visit. So that is positive news if you're in the camp of, hey, the Vikings should sign this guy who has 64 career starts, can play either left guard or right guard. But as I'm recording this at 1240 Central Time, no deal has been struck as of yet. On Steven Wisniewski, the former Eagle who can play guard, I had reported on Twitter, D. Wolfson KHTP a few days ago that the Vikings had called to touch base. But no update. I've seen reports that he has visited the Jets, that the Giants have some interest. No buzz as of yet that the Vikings are working on getting him here for a visit. There are some fans in the building, I hear, a free agent offensive lineman, free agent tackle, Jared Velda here. But no real traction yet on that front. I know that the Velda here side has looked at the Vikings and sees an obvious need. I mean, every agent that represents a free agent offensive lineman realizes that the Vikings have an enormous need, right? So if the Vikings haven't called you, in this case the agent, the agent has reached out to the Vikings. So everybody that's still on the board, trust me. Now a lot of it, again, initiated by the agent, not necessarily by the Vikings, but I promise you every agent who represents a free agent offensive lineman has touched base with the Vikings. That includes Brett Jones. Remember, he started a couple games at center last year, the week one win against the Niners, the week two tie at Lambeau. Remember, the Vikings gave up a draft pick to the Giants last whenever that was, late August, early September. For Jones, he is a free agent. He also has interest from the Eagles, Chiefs, and Seahawks, but the Vikings have expressed some level of interest in retaining Jones. But at this point, my sense is the Vikings want to see where things end up with Klein before proceeding elsewhere. Tom Savage's name has come up. If they can't keep Trevor Simeon, NFL Network reported the name Sean Mannion. I checked with a Mannion source on Wednesday morning. I said, hey, have the Vikings scheduled a visit for Mannion yet? The answer is no, but it has been loosely discussed. My sense is reading the tea leaves is the Vikings can't retain Trevor Simeon, who's visiting the Jets on Wednesday. If they can't retain Simeon, then maybe the name Mannion or a Savage or somebody else is worth monitoring. But my sense is if the Vikings get their way, they'd find a way to retain Simeon. But it's entirely possible the Jets make him a decent offer and he goes elsewhere, maybe to the Jets, maybe to somewhere else. There does remain interest in retaining Marcus Sherrill's 
who's been here a long time, what, the second longest tenured Viking behind Everson Griffin. And right now there's minimal buzz on Aldrick Robinson. I know they met with Robinson's agent at the Combine, expressed some interest depending on how some other things played out in retaining him. But right now no buzz on Robinson. Georgia Loca is another Vikings free agent. He is not coming back. He is visiting the Raiders on Wednesday. The Vikings did not make Tom Compton an offer to return. The Rosemount native who started a bunch of games at guard last year for the Vikings. They did not make him an offer to return. They did make Nick Easton a decent offer. Compton, by the way, signing a one-year deal with the Jets. On Dan Bailey, his guaranteed money is only $250,000, and that can be offset. So if the Vikings made a move on Bailey in late August, early September, another team claims him. The Vikings aren't even on the hook for the $250,000. Now, I would make Bailey the favorite to win the job, but just know this, the Vikings will bring in competition for Bailey throughout training camp and the preseason. I do know that John Barron will get a workout soon, the former San Diego State kicker, but he's not the only one. The Vikings did coach Barron at the East-West Shrine game, but whether it's Barron or someone else, I'm positive the Vikings will bring in competition for Bailey, but with Bailey's experience, I would make him the betting favorite. Billy Turner will be on the next podcast. I caught up with him earlier this week. He also had interest from the Panthers, Bills, Broncos, and Cardinals before signing a really nice deal with the Packers. He played at Mounds View High School, then at North Dakota State. No interest from the Vikings. I thought the Vikings would have some interest. The Gary Kubiak connection, his versatility. I mean, he can play four of the five positions. On the offensive line now, my understanding is the Vikings had an idea of what the price point would be, and the price point was just too high. But yeah, the Vikings really never had interest in Billy Turner. Some draft notes. I briefly touched on Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman at the Ohio State Pro Day. Here on Wednesday, Zimmer with a close eye on Ohio State offensive lineman Michael Jordan going through his workouts. The Vikings did have a formal interview with Jordan at the Combine. Boston College's Pro Day is also today, Wednesday. I'm told the Vikings were the only team to meet with BC offensive lineman Chris Lindstrom at both the Senior Bowl and at the Combine. Now, I should have gotten some clarification. I'm presuming that means a formal interview because informally Lindstrom met with many teams in Indianapolis, and certainly at the Senior Bowl, he met with more than the Vikings. So I'm loosely making the leap that when I was given the information, the information was pointing to a formal interview at the Combine. Nonetheless, the Vikings have expressed good interest in the Boston College offensive lineman who can play guard, Chris Lindstrom. Draft visitors confirmed these are some of my own original reporting. If you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me report many of these names. I have not reported all of these names. I wish I had the exact credit to give out for every one of these names. I don't, but I'm just telling you this is not all my own original reporting, just some of it. Robbie Grimsley, North Dakota State, Hutchinson High School. Ryan Connolly, Eden Prairie High School, Wisconsin Badgers. Trey Pipkins, Apple Valley High School, Sioux Falls. Danell Green, Gophers Offensive Lineman. Blake Cashman, Eden Prairie High School. Gophers linebacker Nate Davis, an offensive lineman. Isaiah Johnson, a cornerback. Terrell Hanks, a linebacker. Devine Ozigbo, a running back. And Andrew Van Ginkle, a linebacker. The Vikings are hosting draft prospects April 2nd and 3rd. That's just a partial list. The Vikings will have over 30 draft prospects in Egan those two days. All right, let's transition to the Twins. The Twins did make Kyle Gibson an offer. He can be a free agent after the year. I'm told the sides did not come close. Talks are now off. It was a multi-year extension, but not a long-term extension. We're just talking like a couple years 
on an extension. But we'll wait and see if talks do get revisited. But right now, no traction on a Kyle Gibson contract extension. I'm told the Twins and Jake Odorizzi's side have also talked about a contract extension. Like Gibson, Odorizzi can be a free agent after the year. The Twins, of course, something I've talked about for weeks. They'd love to extend Jose Barrios and Eddie Rosario, but nothing has been close. Lucas Duda, Adam Rosales, and Tim Collins can all opt out this week. Duda on Friday, the others on Saturday. I don't have a real good sense, although I'm not sure that any of the three have a great chance to make the 25-man roster. Although I will tell you this much, somebody close to Collins told me, hey, we plan on making the team. But there's always a contingency plan, so we'll wait and see what happens with those guys. I don't have a great sense on what happens. I'm just telling you, reading the tea leaves to some extent, that I'm not sure any of the three make the team. But the headline there is, all can opt out this week. Martin Perez, the Twins' fifth starter, will start the year in the pen. No surprise, the Twins actually don't need a fifth starter until mid-April. On the Wolves, they'll have their scouts out and about this week with the start of the NCAA tournament. There is no better way to scout a player than to scout a player on the biggest stage possible. So the Wolves will be active out and about for the next few weeks scouting for the NBA draft. But who will be making the selection? I'm telling you, I don't see it being Scott Layden. Could it be Milt Newton of the Bucks? Could it be Calvin Booth of the Nuggets? Those remain two names to keep an eye on. Both guys worked for the Wolves previously. Both guys have good relationships with Ryan Saunders. Saunders remains the betting favorite to be the Wolves' full-time head coach. At this point, something I've talked about now going back a few podcasts, Robert Covington was making progress during the All-Star break. He went back to Nashville, worked out with his guys. All signs pointed to Covington coming back shortly thereafter. And the Wolves aren't calling it a setback, but at this point, now that he's not back and we're like in late March, I mean, just about late March, right? I mean, we're in the 20s now in March, March 20th, so it's late March. At this point, there's no reason for Covington to come back. All I know is bone bruises suck. I hate bone bruises. So it's unfortunate that the Wolves will end up missing Covington for a good chunk of the season. But with them out of the playoff picture, hey, at this point, losses are a good thing to help their draft position as much as possible. On Cam Reynolds, nice forward thinking move, by the way, by the Wolves. I think Cam Reynolds has a chance. His shot is legit. He's got a real NBA skill with his shot. Anyway, on Cam Reynolds, the Wolves did give him a little bit of a guarantee for next year. So I think he's a decent bet to make the opening night roster for next season, then his contract would become fully guaranteed in January. So really, next January is when the Wolves would really have to make a decision. Now, if they bring in enough guys and enough guys beat him out, it's not like they couldn't eat a little bit of money and release him in October. But I think he's got a chance to stick. So I see him making the opening night roster next year. Remember the name, Cam Reynolds. On Gophers Hockey, they not only expected to lose Matt Robson. I mean, he had the one year of eligibility left, but I know Bob Motzko and staff expected to lose him. That was not a surprise that he signed. There's also buzz that Rem Pitlick will sign. Nashville has his NHL rights. Jalen Suggs will be on the next podcast. I sat down with him over at school the other day. The stud from Minnehaha Academy Jr. has a chance to win this week a third basketball state championship won a football state championship 
in November. I mean, one of the great athletes this state has ever seen has football offers from Georgia, from Ohio State. P.J. Fleck of the Gophers loves him. Would love to have him. Yes, the Gophers have made him an offer. He has other football offers on the basketball front. Kentucky, John Calipari was here a couple weeks ago to see Jalen. Gonzaga wants him badly. Kansas wants him badly. Of course, the Gophers want him badly. He has many, many basketball offers. He's one of the top 10 players in the country in the class of 2020. Anyway, the news he gave me the other day is he is in for football next year. I wasn't sure if he would play his senior year of football. Now, for college, he admitted playing football and basketball would be incredibly tough. So all signs point to him focusing on one sport, likely basketball, in college. Nothing has been finalized yet, but in terms of playing football his senior year, like Reed Travis of De La Salle was a really good quarterback. He sat out his senior year because the focus was on basketball. In this case, Jalen did tell me he will play football his senior year. All right, let's talk Gophers Louisville. Scott Spinelli is an assistant coach at Boston College. They beat the Gophers in November. They lost at Louisville in January, beat Louisville in late February. So he's got great knowledge when it comes to the Gophers and Louisville. So right now, let's get a Gophers Louisville breakdown from the BC assistant, Scott Spinelli. Coach, I appreciate the time. You guys lost to Louisville. We're in Louisville in January, specifically what, January 16th, but then you beat Louisville at your place in late February, February 27th. So you have great knowledge when it comes to the Louisville Cardinals. How good are they? Well, they're very, very talented. I mean, Coach Pizzino, who left the program, left the pro- left them in very good shape. Um, you know, I think they were a lot better um, talent-wise than people wanted to give the program credit for going into the season. Um, they've obviously added some, you know, some transfers, um, and some of the guys that were within the program have shown significant improvement. But they're a very formidable opponent. Uh, for anybody, they've had wins where they've beaten Carolina at Carolina by 20. I mean, just destroyed them. Um, and then they've gone in you know, to places like us where if you kind of stick to a game plan um, and shut a couple guys down, you're going give to give yourself a chance. So um, they're a formidable team that, you know, really I think Minnesota-Louisville to me is a very good matchup in the first round, very evenly matched teams. Were you surprised that Louisville was a seven seed? Did you think they might be a five or a six? I did. I think the ACC in general, you know, with only getting the, you know, the eight teams, I believe, or seven teams. I think seven, I yeah. The Big Ten has seven, eight. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a surprise, especially knowing you had three one seeds, two four seeds, a seven and an eight. I mean, this league is from top to bottom. It's very, very good. And uh, so I was kind of surprised. Um, you know, with them only getting a seven seed, especially considering the wins. You know, they beat Michigan State. You know, they won at North Carolina uh, by a significant margin. I mean, those two teams right there are one and a two seed. Um, so that was a very big surprise to me. Coach, you said that they added some transfers and some guys just got better, guys that were in the program. How about the Nawara kid? I was texting with an NBA scout friend of mine, and he's like, hey, you need to put that guy on your radar. Like, he could be a guy the Timberwolves could look at in the second round. Did I see right? The ACC most improved player, and I think I saw, did he have 32 points in the win against you? How how good is Nawara? Well, i tell you what. If you're Minnesota and you're going into this game, you're focused, and I'm sure with their excellent coach and Coach Patino and their staff, you know, they're going to address that with their guys. I mean, you have to make sure 
that your guys are there on the catch. You've got to find them in transition. Um, you almost have to switch out, you know, on any of their ball screen actions or their roll and replace stuff. Uh, you got to stay connected to Nawara and find him early in transition. He doesn't need a lot of time. He's got a very compact, quick release from the three-point line. He can really, really shoot it, and he does it at a very high percentage with great efficiency. And he also has an up fake with a mid-range floater pull-up. So, you know, but I do think the biggest threat with him um, and any team that's going to play against Louisville is to make sure you limit him from the three-point line. I think you, they can beat you, or he can beat you from the three. I think it's a little bit harder for them to beat you from the two-point line. So what you're saying is don't play zone defense against them? Well, if you do play zone, make sure you have a guy that's literally an arm's length away on the aura on the catch because he is extremely dangerous from the three-point line. Did you guys play man against them? We did both. Um, I think another, you know, strategy going in, if um, I'm sure Minnesota staff, again, they're, they're excellent coaches. I'm sure they've seen it. Um, I think Louisville is susceptible to the pre- pressure, full-court pressure, soft full-court pressure, three-quarter court. Um, I think mixing your defenses up, um, you know, can help you. But I, if you look back at the Duke game when Duke played them at Louisville, you know, Louisville had that game in hand. Um, and then uh, Duke went to that full-court pressure and, um, you know, came back from a big deficit late to beat them. Um, we mixed up our pressure. We mixed up our defenses. But, again, our main focus was to find the war. I mean, look, you know, Enoch inside is a load. Um, I think, you know, Minnesota has the bigs to match up with them in the interior. He also shoots it uh, from the perimeter, so he offensively can do both for them. But you don't want to give him high-low opportunities. You've got to get around, you know, in the post, really sit on his leg and make it hard for them to throw over the top to him when he posts. The other bigs, Williams, um, can do both. He's a very skilled, <clears throat> excuse me, um, front-court guy. Uh, he can do both. He can shoot it. He can also go inside. Um, but, again, I think you know, going into this game, if you're Minnesota, I would probably think that you're going to change your defenses and I would definitely wouldn't be afraid to extend some full-court pressure, whether that's zone full-court, man full-court, and some soft three-quarter court to mix up your coverages. Sounds good in theory, Coach, but the Gophers just aren't very deep. I mean, Isaiah Washington has fallen off the face of the earth. I mean, for whatever reason, multiple reasons, Richard Pitino just doesn't trust him all that much. Mott Stockman, who can give you 10 minutes a night, the big man, is dealing with concussion-like symptoms, so he's a giant question mark heading into tomorrow. I mean, I would not be surprised if he doesn't play. So, I mean, you're looking at a very small bench, so it might be a lot to ask your starting five to play, you know, 36, 37, 38 minutes and play, you know, almost full-court defense or three-quarters court defense. Well, even if it's just three-quarter court soft token pressure, if you're just backing up, I think would be a a valuable uh, weapon against them. I mean, we weren't the deepest team, you know, either. I mean, after we played Minnesota and after we beat Florida State, we lost our second-leading scorer for the entire ACC schedule. Mm. It was frustrating for us because Winston Tabs went down and we were on pace to have a very, very good season. And um, so we weren't exceptionally, you know, extremely deep either. But, again, I just think Louisville, they're the type of team that will get the ball and bounce um, quickly. They'll advance it. Um, you know, and I think if you can somehow disrupt their rhythm on that side of it, you know, whether it's soft full court or whether it's zone, with the idea of finding the war very, very early, 
I think it would help you. You're obviously, obviously going to have to rebound the basketball too, um, to a, to a high level because they do go to the offensive glass. But, you know, Louisville is physical. They're strong. They're deep. Um, they're talented. They have, um, you know, they play several, you know, combinations of guys. Um, you know, they do defend the ball, you know, very well. Um, you know, but again, I think you can beat them, you know, um, you know, with going inside, I think you can go at them in the post. Um, I think you can get the ball in the interior, and I think you could, you know, make strong, aggressive moves. I mean, Minnesota has the bigs to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can play inside out, you know, that way. They're not as easy to drive by and get into the paint, um, you know, and play inside out that way. So I think through the post um, and through, you know, hopefully they, you know, Minnesota, if they're, you know, rebounding the ball, they can get out and run against them. I think because they go to the glass so hard, you can actually get out, leak out, and get some baskets that way too. But Minnesota's a dangerous team also. I, I, again, I think it's a, it's a very, very formidable match, a very, very evenly matched team, I think. You know? How good are the Cardinals' guards? They're good. Um, you know, uh, Sutton, you know, hard-nosed uh, kid. You know, he's physic- they're physical, they're strong. Um, you know, they do pressure the basketball. They take pride in their one-on-one defense uh, from the guard spots. All of them do. Um, and, you know, obviously the kid off the bench, the kid from Florida that shoots it. Uh, oh, got to draw a blank here. Um, what's the the kid that really shoots it? From, I forget his name. But yeah, anyway, you would know yeah. better than me. I mean, I, you know, I've been trying yeah, to do some homework coach on, on the Cardinals, but you know him better than I do. Yeah, I'm just uh, drawing a blank here. But anyways, he um, they they have enough of a combination of kids, you know, coming off the bench, you know, from the guard spots to, you know, really pressure, and um, and again they do a really good job of, um, you know, of of guarding the basketball. And I think, um, you know, again that's going to be something that, um, you know, uh, is going to be, you know, something's got to give there because you know Minnesota with their, you know, their guard core, you know. Um, you know they're going to be a they're going to be a tough matchup too for Louisville. So, but I think the key is for for Minnesota is to make sure that they are in fact you know making sure that they find Nawara early and often because he can beat you from that three point line. He's that good, that much improved, um, and I think he's he's going to be as they as he goes they go. So I think that's going to be Minnesota's big key is to make sure they find him early, contest all of his threes, make it very, very hard for him to get open looks. I did a quick Google search. Okay, so you touched on Cunningham, right? Are you thinking of McMahon or Perry? McMahon. McMahon McMahon off the bench can shoot the three also. You've got to be there when he catches it. And they usually go with that lineup, especially when teams go zone. They can you know, they can go with a couple more shooters. I mean, Enoch, although he's built so physically strong and big, he can also, you know, step away from the basket. He's a very good low post guy. I mean, he was. I mean, he had a career night against North Carolina uh, and against us. He played exceptionally well. But he can score it from both ways in the post, over the top. He'll dunk on you, and he'll also step out and shoot the three. But you know, any of those guys, McMahon can shoot it. Um, you know, so if they go zone, you got to find him also in the zone coverages. But you know, any of those other guys that you mentioned. Um, are, you know, just strong, tough, hard-nosed guys who really, you know, assume a role. But their team goes, you know, as the war goes, 
as well as Williams and Enoch from the interior, you know, also being able to step out away from the basket. Those are there to me. That's the way to beat them. But I think you're going to have to change up your defenses because Louisville can get in a rhythm. He does a great job with his, you know, with his, with his um, strategy in terms of exploiting a matchup on the offensive end to expose or to take advantage of what they believe to be a matchup advantage on that side. So I think, again, with knowing that, you know, you've got to kind of change your defensive coverages up. You know, your ball screen coverages have to be exact. You know, your tags, whether it's one pass or two pass away, have to be exact. A lot of ball screen coverages, a lot of ball screen flips where you got to communicate that. Um, but again, you've got to make sure you find the Laura, um, and it, it comes down to him. If you can make him beat you from the two and contest the three-point line, especially him, um, you know, McMahon can make him, but I think Nawara is the guy that beats most people. When he has a big night, they're, they're tough to beat. Maybe more so heading into the mid-January game, but did you go back or did your staff go back and, and look at some of the things that Chris Mack ran at Xavier? I mean, are there similarities? I mean, if Gophers fans or people listening to this went back and watched some of the Xavier teams, the great Xavier teams of the last couple of years, would they see similarities between this year's Louisville team and those Xavier teams? Yeah, you know, they would. Um you know, but to be honest with you, again, I think the whole game, you know, whether it's at Xavier when they had, you know, when he was really good there too, you know, with Holloway, some of those kids that he's had over the years, uh, they they ran a lot of ball screens. Um, and I think the same is true here. They're running a lot of roll and replace. They are doing a little bit more with the high-low stuff here just because I think they have, you know, those kind of bigs. I mean, again, they were left with some talent now. There, there's – there's a lot of talent in that program that, um, you know, Coach Patino, um, you know, Coach Patino Sr. left behind. So mm-hmm. um, there, in no way, shape, or form is it a question of them having a lack of talent or depth. They, they do have that. So I think, you know, for the most part, you know, they're going to have to, you know, I think if you watched Xavier, I think you'd see the ball screen offensive stuff that they do. Um, I also think you'll see them, the transition stuff, because they do get out and run, and they also they get on the offensive glass. I think those three have always been standard uh, things for Chris Mack at Xavier, and he's carried them over to Louisville. The only difference is this year is, again, their team, they do have some high-low stuff that they run, um, and they do have some weapons, especially uh, Nawara. I mean, you know, Sutton is a big, strong kid he can make shots but again i think for him you know he gets out in transition he crashes the glass um you know he's an undersized when they go small they like to put him in there you know malik williams i mean is as skilled as they come you know he's a pick and pop guy you might give up especially when he's at the five but he slips ball screens um you know he can score in the interior also so he's a big weapon in and out uh, the kid uh, is a Quan Foray, the senior. Um, you know, he's a kid that can, you know, he just does what he needs to do to help him win. Yeah, you know, they're deep. I mean, they play like legitimately, Coach. They play, I mean, I'm just looking at the numbers right here. I mean, one, two, three, four, five. I mean, they play nine or ten guys. I mean, their ninth man plays 14 minutes a game. I know. Cunningham the same way. I mean, you know, they, they do have a lot of weapons. But, again, if if you're really – Take a step back and think. I mean, you know, I mean, I, you know, Perry can give him energy off the bench. I, you know, all that. But I think it comes down to Nuora, um, and you know, Enoch and Williams making sure that you limit easy 
baskets, and then you've got to get back in transition too because they do on makes and misses. They do get out, they leak out, they really run. And like you said, because they're deep, they're able to do a lot more of that um, and try to weigh you down that way. Um, I mean, look, B.J. King is as talented as they come, and he doesn't even play uh, a whole heck of a lot. He's like a three, three and a half points per game. Yeah. Uh, played better in the ACC tournament, but he's he was, he was I think he was at McDonald's or – he was very highly ranked coming yeah, out. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Now that you say that, yeah, that name rings a bell. How are they in terms of drawing files? And I get it. There's some subjectivity when it comes to, you know, the officiating crew, specific officials, whether they blow the whistle a bunch or don't. But, like, thinking about the Gophers, Jordan Murphy, Amir Coffey, I mean, those guys just can't get into foul trouble. Like, if Jordan Murphy has two fouls in the first 10 minutes, the Gophers are cooked. Or Coffey has two fouls in the first 10 or 11 minutes, they are cooked. How is Louisville in terms of drawing fouls? They they're very good at it. I, I tell you what, you know, um, you know when they start setting those ball screens and they slip them, you know, you, a lot of times your bigs are in rotation, and um, you know their bigs are skilled enough to catch the ball and drive it at you. And sometimes when you're that guy, whether you're xing out or whether you're in that rotation, you know they do put a lot of foul pressure on you. The big thing is for Minnesota, and I think the Big Ten has prepared them for this. You know, there are teams in the Big Ten that run a lot of high-low, or they do run some high-low. So, you know, with high-low, you're going to have to break contact and get around those bigs, especially Enoch. He is a low down there. And, you know, if you play behind him and he catches the ball, you're going to be in foul trouble. So they're going to have to get around him and um, in front him and give a lot of help off the backside. But with the focus on Nuora, you know, making sure you're there on the catch. So, yeah, there is – there is a lot of foul trouble that they they put on you, um, you know, from their bigs. And um, again, I mean, they're deep enough. Um, they're well coached. They're skilled at a lot of positions. They're deep. They're tough. I mean, they're a very good basketball team. Um, again, they're rhythm oriented, though. If you can disrupt their rhythm, and you can change defenses on them. Um, again, whether you're deep or not deep, I think soft pressure coming out of timeouts, maybe going from man to zone, just kind of mixing up your coverages uh, with that attention on the aura now. It's got to be, you got to find them. I think um, I think that would be the best bet you would have um, to beat Louisville. Coach, this is great analysis. I'll let you go after just a little bit more. Okay, on the Gophers, you guys beat them in November at your place. Now, they haven't been a good three-point shooting team all year, but if I recall, did you guys go zone early in that game? You were playing man went to zone, then stayed in the zone, and the Gophers couldn't make shots that night, and you guys ended up running them out of the gym. Well, let's put it like this. I mean, Minnesota had a tough schedule. I mean, Coach Patino, uh, you know, I my, my hat's off to him and his staff. I mean, you know, for what they did, um, you know, coming into our game, they had the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They had just won a tournament out on the West Coast, if I believe, um, somewhere where they, um, they played some very tough competition. They didn't have much of a of a break. They came out here and they, uh, you know, after an emotional high that win they had over Washington, I think they they missed a shot or made a shot late. Yeah, Gabe Kalsher hit a three with like a second left. Yeah, yeah actually yeah. got away with the travel, but hey, I mean that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think emotionally they were a little bit you know um, spent coming out, but you know, look, you know, we were healthy then. Um, you know, it was a great game up until the second half. You know, we went to a zone. Um, and, you know, the zone, you know, they missed some shots. I mean, and, and that's, you know, what, what our strategy was is to try to get to that zone in the second half. Hopefully, you know, um, they would miss some of those, and they did. 
But again, you know, um, you know, coming into the game, you know, Minnesota, you know, was as good a team that we played. We had just come off winning that um, tournament out in Fort Myers where we beat Loyola Chicago in the championship. And um, our guys were pretty confident. Uh, they were excited. And, um, you know, playing against a team like Minnesota. And so that was a really good win for us. Um, but, again, I think Minnesota, you know, that night missed, missed some shots, you know, from the perimeter that they normally probably would make. And um, some of that might have been us. Some of that was probably them, too. But, again, we caught them at a pretty good time after that turn. Tell us a little bit about the young man that you have on your roster from Shakopee Mitchell. Is the first name pronounced? Is it? I can't remember. I mean, we did some stuff on him in high school, but is it Stefan Stefan? But Mitchell, is he? Is he still? Was he starting at the end of the year for you? How how good has he been for you? And then you think about your guys' ties here to the Twin Cities. I mean, Troy Bell, right? One of the all time great players in Big East history. In fact, I was texting with Troy the other day. He's now cutting hair as just a passion of his. He loves cutting hair, so I'm catching up with him for a TV story in the near future just on his new passion. But, you know, you think about you guys, Boston College, I mean, you have some history here in the Twin Cities. No question. I mean, you know, um, you know the old, the previous staff recruited, um, you know, at BC you've got to recruit everywhere. Um, you know, we don't really have a great recruiting base, so you have to go out and find, you know, um, those diamonds in the rough. And the old staff, you know, found some kids in Minnesota, obviously Troy Bell, um, was one of them, and even that part of the country, you know, Sydney, the Midwest, Michigan kid, they had some success there. But you know, Stefan Mitchell um, has been a great find for us. I mean, he is, you know, this year uh, again. What hurt him for us, or what hurt him, was you know he was banged up a lot, and yeah. um, you know, just a pretty consistent theme this year with our team. You know, we were six and one this year with our complete roster that that's we only had our complete roster for seven games so stefan uh you know played through some nagging injuries and um you know tough hard-nosed kid um plays extremely hard he has a you know a fire intense fire in his belly you know he goes after every rebound like it's his last he's a difficult matchup because you know you try to box him out with a bigger guy he's, he's crafty enough and fast enough to get around you you put a smaller guy on, he's stronger than he looks, and he just kind of, you know, will ride you under. So he brings an unbelievable um, ability to rebound the ball, especially on the offensive end. And, um, you know, again, I think with some, you know, if he's completely healthy and he can develop a little bit more this summer, consistency in terms of shooting it, um, you know, he's going to be a major force moving forward here uh, for us at BC. But he's been a you know, uh, last year when we had a kid go down, a fifth-year kid, uh, Deontay Hawkins, who was a really good player, uh, Stephon, freshman, came in and really was the, the glue to our team. I and, mean, yeah, we had a lottery pick in Jerome Robinson in the backcourt with Bowman, and we had some other really good players. But it was Stephon's energy that became infectious amongst our guys last year and even this year. He's a He's a big part of our team and our program, and we're very blessed to have him. I'll leave you with this. I mean, you have a lengthy history of recruiting NBA players. I mean, you mentioned Jerome Robinson. You spent some time in Maryland. You spent some time at Texas A&M. How much pride do you take, Coach, in seeing the success of a guy like a Chris Middleton or a DeAndre Jordan or a Jerome Robinson? You know what? Honestly, as a coach, I think all of us, you know, you go through this profession and, you know, you make some mistakes as a younger coach, misevaluating. But when you can find those diamonds in the rough, 
you know, whether it was Chris Middleton to Jerome Robinson, Jake Lehman I recruited to Maryland, Alex Len, uh, Kai Bowman. And you see those kids, you know, move on to the next level and their families and their, their lives have been changed. I think that's one of the greatest, you know, pleasures you have as a coach, you know, to watch a kid who maybe nobody thought was as good as maybe we thought he could be. And he worked on his craft and he believed in what we were saying. And um, to watch him succeed and achieve at that level uh, is as good a feeling as there is in, in the business as a coach. So I think that's what all of us here are striving to do is to try to change some of these kids' lives through the education, the academic education they receive, as well as the basketball side of it. And I think that's what we all do this for. Coach, I greatly appreciate this conversation. I mean, heck, heading into the conversation, I had minimal knowledge on Louisville. I now feel like I'm a Louisville Cardinals expert, so thank you. This was fantastic. Well, listen, I wish you guys the best of luck. I think it's going to be a heck of a game. Two really good teams, two great coaches, great coaching staffs, and uh, be a fun one to watch uh, on both sides. Thank you, Coach. Take care. Have a good day. Boston College assistant coach Scott Spinelli. Boston College beat Louisville in February, lost at Louisville, In January, Boston College beat the Gophers in the Big Ten ACC Challenge in late November. That was excellent. I had Ryan Humphrey, who was an assistant coach at Notre Dame. Notre Dame played Louisville twice earlier this month. One was in the ACC tournament. And with all due respect to Ryan, who was fine, Coach Spinelli was great. Scott Spinelli, Boston College assistant coach. I mean, that was excellent analysis of Louisville and how the Gophers can potentially beat them. Although I am concerned when he's talking about, hey, you want to put some pressure on them. I just think the Gophers' lack of depth, because it's not looking good for Mott Stockman to play. You'd love to get 10 minutes from Stockman, but that looks like it might be difficult with what he's dealing with. So that Gophers bench is incredibly thin, or at least in Richard Patino's mind, it's incredibly thin. Maybe he should have given more minutes to some guys earlier this year. So fatigue, especially after playing three games in 68 hours, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I get it. These guys have played AAU basketball for years. They're used to playing a lot of games, but still, that is a lot. It's a different level. So exerting all that energy last weekend, then playing the first game on Thursday, I'll admit I'm a bit concerned. I can see why Louisville is a five-point favorite. All right, appreciate you listening. That does it for Scoop Podcast episode 213. Back on Friday, Jalen Suggs, Billy Turner, and I think we'll track down Eric Harris, former Gopher, to review the Gophers-Louisville game. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, Ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.